Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Right. Welcome to Plan for Life Now, the podcast. Uh, I'm going to be your host today, taking on a little journey into investor psychology. And first and foremost, I'm going to throw out an apology to my normal co-host, Dave, and say, I'm really sorry, but the audio of the podcast that we recorded the other day, um, Dave was here earlier in the week. We recorded this on Monday. And as I've mentioned to everybody, I am learning here. I'm not a radio professional, financial professional, so I'm just learning on how to edit these things, how to record them, how to get a decent sound quality. So um, the one that we recorded the other day, I'll be honest, it sounded pretty terrible. So I didn't want to put you guys through listening to that. That's terrible work quality. So I'm re-recording this and doing it solo and I think I've fixed the audio quality considerably. So like I mentioned at the top, what we wanted to talk about today is investor psychology. And the main reason why Dave and I decided to talk about this is the way that people are feeling, the general thoughts and sentiment that's out there in the investing public right now. And what I mean by this is people feel not super optimistic, they're not overly excited, but they feel pretty complacent. And I think complacent is a good word to describe it because nobody's jumping up and down saying, wow, the economy is growing by leaps and bounds. But people also feel like, well, you know, all that volatility, all those stock market declines, I I think we're past that. I don't think it's going to happen again. And I think it's a good time to sort of take a pause, look at some history, and then also go through some psychological mistakes that we all make. And those of you who have listened to our show in the past, you know that one of my favorite areas of finance is behavioral finance, which really analyzes and breaks down the mistakes that we all make as investors and the reasons why we make them. You know, where it makes sense when we buy a TV to think one way doesn't always make sense to think that way when you're talking about stocks. So let's back up and just look at what's gone on so far in the last 12 months. Um, seems like forever ago, but 12 months ago, the stock market was starting to decline. And if you don't remember why, and most people we talk to, they very little recollection of this. If you don't remember why, it was fears about growth in China. 
And China, as we all know, has been growing by you know, almost double digits, but certainly high single digits for the last decade. And now they might only be growing by you know, 4 or 5% instead of 6 or 7%. So that sparked a decline that where the stock market was down about 11% uh, between August 15th and the end of September. And then by the end of October, everything had bounced back and we were back to the levels we were at before. Everything's good. Now, go into the early part of this year. And I know that also seems like forever ago because here we are, uh, September 1st, where I'm recording this. January and February were the worst to, the worst start to a year in stock market history. And you might have already forgotten that. But we had between the beginning of the year and I believe it was February 10th, you had a decline of over 12% on the domestic markets. Okay, so we've had those declines over the last 12 months. And then one that you probably remember, because it's a little more recent, and it was obviously grabbed a lot of the headlines, was the decline after Brexit. And Brexit turned out to be only a two-day decline, and everything bounced back. Um, at the time, though, a lot of people thought this could be significant. This could be the next big thing. This hasn't happened in a generations. It's a big deal. So far, not going to speak for the long-term impact, but so far it hasn't been. So what does all this have to do with psychology? And what does this have to do with the way people are feeling right now and as a result, what they should actually do with their portfolios. So when it comes to investor sentiment, it goes in a cycle. And we go on this cycle that ranges at the bottom of the cycle, fear. And if you recall, fear is 2009, 2008, when it looks like everything is collapsing. All the way up to this cycle of greed. And greed is that feeling that Gosh, I, I, I should have known that investing in U.S. stocks was the best place to be for the last six years. My neighbor knew it. The guy in the cube next to me, he's always bragging about how much U.S. stock exposure he has. Maybe I should put everything that I've had in other assets, maybe I should put it all into U.S. stocks. Um, this right here is an example of one of those psychological terms that that I talked about, and I think most of us are familiar with this. This is hindsight bias. And in hindsight, it's easy to say a lot of things. Um, you know, in hindsight, it's always easy to see, oh gosh, I knew that Apple would become the most valuable company and then Google would take over that mantle and so on and so forth. But foresight is not so easy. So a lot of people will sit there and they will try to use hindsight to make their investing decisions. And the, the analogy that I've heard used that I think makes a lot of sense is that's like trying to drive a car simply looking in the rearview mirror. All right, you're going to have a very good clue what's behind you, but you're not going to have a good clue as to what's in front of you, where are you actually going. Um, and as we break down some of these other psychological mistakes, you know, I always say the whole reason we talk about behavioral finance and psychology and investing has to do with one of my favorite studies that's ever been done in this field. Um, and if 
you're a client of ours, you've probably seen me put this in front of you before. Um, we call it the Dalbar study, D-A-L-B-A-R, Dalbar. And this study that they look at, and I'm actually going to try when we post this podcast, I'm going to try to have this posted right below there. Uh, the study that we look at looks at the investment returns in the stock market versus investor actually experienced returns. So what it's looking at there, the difference between, say, the S&P 500 for large cap stocks versus investors in large cap investments. And sadly, what you find, you know, for instance, over the last 20 years, the stock market, S&P 500, has returned over 8% per year, right? Although it's been turbulent, 8% per year. I think we'd all be pretty happy with that. The average investor has returned about four and a quarter percent. So why is the average investor giving up over three and a half percent, almost four percent in overall returns? And the answer is, is I don't want to say it's simple, uh, but when you break it down, it sort of is. Um, investors really like to buy when things are high and sell when things are low. Right? This is the reason why when Brexit happened, uh, we got a few phone calls, a few emails from people saying, hey, Brexit just happened. Do you think we should sell out of stocks? And I know this is not the, the response a lot of people want to hear, but if you were really going to be rational and logical, you would say, well, maybe this is an opportunity to buy more stocks. You know, maybe I could actually buy things at a discount here. That's very hard for people to do. Um, let's go through some of these other psychological impacts, uh, some of things that people fall prey to. Um, overconfidence. Um, you know, I think overconfidence is a big one. You know, if you ask a group of people to raise their hands and to say, you know, who of you in this room are a really good driver and a bunch of hands go up you say I don't just mean good I mean you're like in the top 30% of drivers well 82% of the people in the room are going to say that they are a really good driver well we know that can't be true there can only be 30% Um, unfortunately the same thing happens with investing that people get overconfident and it we certainly see that when the stock market is going up they feel like, well, gosh, I'm pretty smart. Market's gone up. Uh, you know, I don't need to be careful. I, I can do this. I know what I'm doing. Um, but we know that when the mistakes are made, those are big mistakes. Um, you know, they're not just like a speeding ticket. Uh, this is more like a totaling your car type of thing when it comes to retirement accounts. Um, loss aversion. This is another thing that we certainly see affect people getting closer to retirement. They have this aversion for losses. And we've talked about this many times in the past. I mean, this is biologically imprinted into us that we should avoid things that are scary. And I've probably used this example before when I talk about if you walk into a dark alley and you can't really see anything and there's some shady characters hanging around a dumpster, you feel scared. And that's natural. That's your body's reaction 
your your instincts taking over there saying, hey, something's not right here. I've got to get out. I've got to avoid this danger. Well, we feel very similar effects when it comes to stock market declines. The stock market declines, we feel like we're in that dark alley with those shady characters. And what is the logical reaction when you're in the alley is to run, to get away. And that makes sense. But that logical reaction when it comes to the alley does not make sense when it comes to your investment portfolio. Because if you are to sell right when things are the scariest, you have now sold at the low. And I always think it's interesting that you know almost all of our clients own some sort of real estate and even a handful of them dabble in real estate above and beyond, you know, rental properties and things like that. And I think most people have this pretty good sense for real estate that when real estate values are down, that's a good time to buy. You know, real estate's down. Uh, it's not worth as much as it was before. Maybe I should buy now. Or at the very least, I don't want to be selling when everything is down. And I think that comes from this general feeling that eventually real estate will go up in value. Um, I think it also comes from the fact that with real estate, you can't just pull up your laptop, click a couple buttons, and sell everything. Uh, with your stocks, you can. You, know, you can pick up the phone, you can sell, you can be out of the market by the end of the day. With real estate, it's a much longer process. But I think it fundamentally comes back to this idea that we all feel, certainly in the D.C. area, that if we hold real estate long enough, it'll go up in value. Most people don't feel that way about stocks. And if you're talking about in any one individual stock, then, then yeah, I would share that sentiment. Who knows if it's going to go up in value? But if you're talking about a fully diversified portfolio where you've got a broad basket of stocks, we have to feel that ultimately capitalism, you know, this engine of capitalism that creates things, goods and services that people want to buy, ultimately that is going to increase in value. Now, it's not without its hiccups. It's not without its ups and downs. Um, but if we have that sort of that same sort of long term belief that ultimately this will increase, I think that helps it helps kind of frame your mindset the correct way. Um, so some of these other psychological impacts uh, or mistakes, I should say, that people make. Um, we talk about anchoring. You know, anchoring is this concept that you sort of are stuck on. I put $100,000 into an investment. It goes down to 80000 It might be a bad investment, but I don't want to sell it until it at least gets back to 100000 And that's the mindset that a lot of people have. And they will hold on to investments that are subpar investments just because they want to get back to this number. Well, I'll tell you what, the investments, the market, they don't care what you bought in at. That makes no difference to the markets whatsoever. So they're not going to stick around and say, well, let's get Tom back to 100000 That's completely meaningless. Um, and the flip side of anchoring that we often find is, uh, in gambling, you might call this the house money effect. Let's say that $100,000 went up to 140000 well, it's been proven in investing as well as in gambling 
that people are more willing to take risks with that extra $40,000. They view that $40,000 as house money. That's not my money anyway. That's just the gains. Well, you know what? It is your money. And there's no reason that you should treat it any differently than you treat the other money in your account. Um, So a couple more of these psychological and like I said, I'm going to post, uh, maybe I'll even post a link to this course. Morningstar has this course that I'm looking at right now that goes through all of these different, um, all of these different behavioral finance. They call it psychology and investing here. Um, and one more that I think a lot of us fall prey to is uh, something called herding. And herding is this basic idea that we would rather go with the crowd, go with an idea that everyone seems to be doing, then stand on our own and try to make a decision that differs from the crowd. And I think this is natural. This goes with anything. I mean, if you, uh, if everybody out there is, you know, buying, I don't even know a good example. I was going to say certain types of cars, but there's, you know, so many different ones. Let's say everyone out there is painting their house uh, white or brown or, you know, some neutral color. And you decide to paint yours purple, right? That's strange. That's different. You, you know, people kind of question, what are you thinking? Well, why would you do that? Uh, are you sure? You start to question yourself. You go, God, purple seemed like a good color. Now, I, I don't know. Bob was making fun of it. I heard Sally say that it was terrible. People start to question themselves. So there is this comfort in the crowds. But <laughs> if we know that As a general rule, the crowd is not a good investor. They're generally not better than the market. Why would we want to be part of that crowd? Um, That's a hard one to break, but I I think it all comes back to trying to filter out a lot of the noise that's out there. Um, I've talked about it before, just how, you know, I like to watch CNBC and I like to listen to Bloomberg Radio And, you know, I'm always checking all the websites and blogs that are out there uh, because I find it entertaining and I also want to see what people are talking about. But I'm not making long-term investment decisions based on what I hear or see some analyst or commentator make. And this is true for any industry, whether it's political, whether it's sports, whether it's money. Um, when they bring people on a radio show or a television show, what they don't want is to bring on guys like me to say, have a balanced, well-diversified, low-cost portfolio, uh, view your stocks for the long term, use your bonds and other things for shorter term, and just rebalance your portfolio occasionally. That's not very exciting. Right? There's no sizzle to that. What they want and what they do, and you know, I know this from talking to a lot of people, is they demand that people take differing opinions. Um, and I've got a friend who's been on some of these sports shows on ESPN, and, and he'll say, you know what, I, I didn't really have a strong feeling on this, but they wanted me to take a strong opinion to, to one way or the other. And the same thing goes with, uh, with these finance shows is that people, they want people that'll come on and say the next bear market is coming, you know, put everything in gold and be real conservative. Now they might fundamentally believe this, 
but they also might be ramping it up a little bit just for television. And, you know, I can give you further statistics, even if you don't believe that they're just doing it for entertainment value, but further statistics that show how poor these analysts are at actually predicting anything. Um, It's shocking how bad they are, but like we all know, I mean, they've got to fill 24 hours of programming. They put people on the air um, that they can't predict these things. So the bottom line of all of this, when we talk about the psychological impacts of investing, um, you know, I've just listed off a number of things that people fall prey to. Um, It's hard to consciously think about these things as they're happening. And certainly, as more events and turmoil are going on, it's, it's hard to separate out the emotions from rational things. You know, imagine you're 62 years old, you're planning on retiring and you're 65. Uh, another financial crisis appears to be hitting. What you don't want is to lose your portfolio and say, gosh, I've got to work until I'm 70. That's unacceptable. That is not something within the realm of what you want to do. It's not it's not an option. So a lot of people view the only option as, well, I'm going to sell out of stocks and wait till everything gets better. Uh, we don't think that's a great option either. And that's why you've got to put a plan together ahead of time. You know, Do it now while things are relatively calm, things are relatively not volatile. Put a plan together that says, okay, the day that I put my paperwork in, I actually walk out the door and retire, that's going to be the day the stock market crashes, right? I just, I know it. That's kind of my luck. I'm always that person. Bad luck. Um, If that happens, how am I going to still be able to retire? How am I going to be able to take income for seven or eight years if I have to and let stocks recover? And I think that has to be the important question that you're able to answer with any retirement plan. All right. Thanks for sticking with us. You will have Dave back next week. Uh, Like I said, those technical difficulties, you guys did not want to have to listen to uh, the last recording that we did together. It was overmodulated, garbled. It was kind of a mess. So hopefully quality is a lot better here and we will uh, see you again next week.